Get your Bibles out. In just a minute, we're going to be reading out of 2 Corinthians. So you can find 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be reading from that in just a moment. Um, this Sunday and next Sunday, I'm going to be talking on different aspects of the presence of God. And then, of course, the Dakotis will be with us the 16th, and then the Sunday following that, we'll probably enter into a little bit longer series of messages so we can, we can teach again in a more full and uh, lengthier way. But these next two Sundays, I want to talk about the presence of God in a couple different ways that I believe will be new, and uh, we need the presence of God, amen, we sure do. And so we want to just share a couple of things that will help you in your pursuit of his presence. I I was channel surfing the other day. I want you to know they need an Olympic event, channel surfing or something like that, because I'm an expert channel surfer. I've got my uh, remote, and I don't know how many of you men have your remote memorized, um, but I I can do my remote just by feeling it. If I were ever to go blind, God forbid, I could still handle the remote. That's, that's the good news, I guess. But, but I was doing some channel surfing and kind of going through different channels, and I just happened to land one evening on uh, the PBS channel, and I was watching a gentleman by the name of Dr. Wayne, I don't know if it's Dreyer or Dyer, I, I remember his name from years ago, because he had written, I believe, back in the 70s, one of the first self-help books that came out that sort of led the way for all the other type of self-help books that you can find out there. And what caught my attention, number one, was is that he looked a lot like me. He was bald now. And uh, the second thing was he was in a form that looked a lot like church. It would look a lot like what we have here this morning. But the third thing I happened to notice was is that he was barefoot, and I hadn't seen anybody sort of preach or speak barefoot before, so that, that caught my attention. But as he was sharing, it wasn't long before I sort of caught that he had had sort of a religious, he would call it a religious experience, an epiphany of sorts. A lot of the things that were coming up on the PowerPoint presentation would have been things that I certainly would have agreed with by way of point. But then as you began to listen to it, I thought it was interesting that it had nothing to do with Christianity per se. It had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. But he said that that he'd had this experiential moment. He'd had this epiphany he had this new awareness that came to him like it had never come before and he found the life force that's what he called it the life force he said i don't know what you're going to call it you can call it god you can call it jesus you can call it allah you can call it this or that and he named all sorts of things but i found the life force the life source and and he kept referring to the Tao, which i I, i'm not an expert in eastern religion so I, i can't go through that very easily except that it seemed like I knew enough to know that he was sort of working within the general framework of Hinduism. And it was amazing to watch him because as he was sharing with the crowd, they were spellbound. You would have thought he was an evangelist on the sawdust trail. And as he was sharing, you were watching people shaking their head up and down and nodding yes, and they were taking notes, and it was a crowded auditorium. And I I just watched it for a little bit just to kind of see the dynamic of the whole thing and I started to think to myself and I said that's really fascinating to me it is so fascinating to me to see the hunger in people that they would go to a place an auditorium and 
and listen to certain what I suppose he would call spiritual precept, but in, in reality, their, their error, a lot of it, because of who it's connected to and how it's connected to. And yet there was this whole atmosphere that was taking place where people were absorbing it, soaking it in, listening to it. And I thought to myself, how needy our world is. People who are looking for contentment. People who are looking for satisfaction. People who are looking for fulfillment. And their current life and what they're going through isn't producing it. There's something that they that they would acknowledge at least in and of themselves that would say something's got to change in my life. Something's got to happen that isn't happening. Something's got to be rearranged because where I'm at in life right now just isn't working. And so they'll go to, to an event like this and they will listen to that which we know to be error. Trying to find that which will satisfy them. You know, you and I live in an era believe it or not, of change. You might not think that to be true, but there's lots of change going on around us. There's political change. There's technological change. Just think of the technology that has changed in just the last two decades. Think about all the books that are written now with life coaches who are sharing with us all the things, wisdom, experiences that they have concerning change and how to bring it about in our life think about even people you know people that have problem lives people that are in difficult circumstances people who have inner struggles change change is the word for the hour is it not even in christianity people people are looking for change and the lord wants us to change to become more like him to begin to demonstrate his image And most of us here know that it is the Lord's heart that we change. We know even intuitively that it all doesn't happen at once. Because if it all happened at once, we wouldn't be where we are today. It takes years to begin to assimilate knowledge and insight. It even takes years at times to be awakened to our need and all of our shortcomings. But this is the frustration that I don't know if you face, but at least as I pondered it, I sort of face it. The greatest frustration as I see it is how little true change occurs in people's lives. The greatest frustration, I think, and sometimes it's with ourselves, is how do I get change to happen in my life and for it to stick? Isn't it interesting how many of us want change, how many of us want something to be different? We We desire it, but it doesn't seem like whenever we present ourselves for change, it sticks or it lasts. And so the question I started to ask myself is, why is that? Why is it that we we want change, we don't like our pain, we don't like our problem, we don't like our situation, we want it to be different, we say, okay, I'll change, but it never sticks. Why is that? It's true for all of us in certain areas. I want to talk about that this morning, and I've entitled the lesson this. God is not out to change you, but to morph you. Now, you'll understand that in just a moment. But I want to get change out of your vocabulary, and I want to insert the word transformation. Okay, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to begin with verse 7. Listen to what Paul writes. 
He says this, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, everyone say, that means me. See, it does. It says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God is not out to change you, but to morph you. Now, here in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, let me just tell you what he's talking about. He's comparing the glory of the Old Testament with the glory that should be found for those of us walking under a new covenant who have received Jesus Christ. He's basically saying this. If you read the Old Testament and you see God show up in these phenomenal, impactful, glorious ways, if God would do that in the Old Covenant, with the blood of bulls and goats, in that imperfect, imperfect system, if God would do that, he says, how much more would he be willing to do that with Jesus himself, who was the perfect lamb without blemish or without spot? So what he's basically saying is this. He's saying, if you think you've seen something or read something, even in the days of Moses, put your seatbelt on. Because there's more that's available in Jesus. Now... He says what's, what's available or what more is available is the word glory, glory. Now, we've taught on this before, and so I'll just remind you that, that the glory of God, in the Greek, the word that was used was Shekinah. Most people have heard Shekinah somewhere. It's, it's the, 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 the striking radiance of God. It's, it's that illumination you see like would come off the Ark of the Covenant. When the presence of God would come, there was like this, this force, this power that would come off the ark. They called that the glory. Um, in the Hebrew, they used the word kabod. The word kabod actually means weighty. There was a weightiness to the glory of God. And there was such, such intense power to the glory that the Bible would tell us that there were times in the temple, in the tabernacle, that the glory of God would show up to such a degree and with such strength that even the priests themselves, the people, were unable to stand. And it doesn't mean that they just 
sort of dropped to their knees and bowed. We're talking about God came in and blew them over. The glory of God. The glory of God is, is really a synonym. It's, it's the same thing as if I were to talk about his presence. If I were to say, let the presence of God come, it would be the same as saying, let the glory of God come. Now, again, this is a review for many of you, but just bear with me as I catch everyone up. When we talk about the presence of God, there are two ways we can talk about it. The first way is talking about it sort of doctrinally. And that's called omnipresence. What omnipresence is, is that we believe God is anywhere and everywhere he wants to be. He's here, he's across town at another church or fellowship where people are worshiping in his name. He's on the other side of the world with some uh, missionary or, or, or some foreign church that's praying and seeking God. That's the amazing thing about the Lord. He's not restricted by geography, time, or space. He can be here, there, and everywhere. He can be with you through the week while he's with your neighbor through the week as well. That's the omnipresence of God. He can be anywhere and everywhere at the self-same time. And even at this very moment, God is here as we've gathered in his name. That's omnipresence. But there's another aspect to his presence that fascinates me the most. And it's what we would call manifest presence. Manifest presence is a little bit different because manifest presence is experiential presence. Omnipresence is like doctrinal or theology. Manifest presence is experience. It's tangible. It's palpable. Have there, has there ever been a time in your life when you were seeking God or praying or maybe you were in worship or singing along with maybe a worship tape or something, but all of a sudden there was a sense of his presence. I'm not saying you could just see him, but it's, it's, it's as if you could touch him or taste him or feel him or there's just something you knew that, that God's presence was around you or with you or it was in the place. That's manifest presence. And there are moments that God manifests himself and his presence in that regard. And the reason this is important is because Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says that if we want to be transformed, if, and, and, and if we want to find true change, we're going to have to find the manifest presence of God. Every time God comes in manifest presence, every time God comes in his glory, is what he says, you will begin to be transformed from glory to glory. You will be taken from where you are to where you need to be. His presence will somehow enable you to begin to move to that next dimension of change that needs to happen in your life. And it could be that the reason we are so frustrated at times and we see so, so little true change, even in the body of Christ and at the altars of churches, is because we've lost the key that is foundational. And that is you can't change on your own. You've got to change because God's presence has come. I can teach you for hours. And you'll be the same old, same old going out the door. You'll have a little more information. But you'll be the same. But you take just a few moments in the presence of God and your whole life can be rearranged. I had a professor years ago, I, I'll never forget this. 
I forgot a lot that I learned in school, but I never forgot this. He said, who can stand in the presence of the Lord and walk away the same person? There's truth to that. And yet it seems as if many people do. It seems as if to me many come and we say they're in the presence of the Lord. I believe they desire change. I believe they want things to be different. And yet truth of the matter is, and we're just going to be honest, truth of the matter is they walk out the door and things aren't that much different next week. Here's the deal. They may have stood in God's omnipresence, but they did not stand in God's manifest presence. Are you with me? And that's the key to true and lasting change. Now, here the word transformation is where we get the word morph from. In fact, the word transformation is actually the Greek word metamorpho. Metamorpho. Some of you that, like science, have already heard that word metamorpho. It means transformation. Great change is what it actually means. It actually can uh, be likened to that which changes from one form into another form. Now, now, let me give you the greatest example. The greatest example is the caterpillar who's just walking along, you know, on his, you know, 50 legs. And he's walking along and a day comes that he knows he has to cocoon and he cocoons himself and he begins to metamorphosize in that cocoon until finally the day comes that he begins to work his, his legs now, which have turned into wings, and break out of that cocoon, and he has turned into this butterfly, which now begins to fly, and it's a totally different creature than what it was when it started. Are you with me? That scientific word is metamorphosis. It's the exact same word that Paul uses here, and it's used in the Bible. So he says that we're being transformed. We're being transformed from one creature into another. And this is the part that I want you to get. It's really important. Is that once that caterpillar morphs into a butterfly, how many of you realize this is science 101 right now? And, and, I'm, and I'm exhausting my scientific mind at this very moment. You're watching me come to the edge of science at this very moment. Once that caterpillar turns into a butterfly and he flies away, how many of you realize that he can't go back to being a caterpillar? It is impossible to go back to being a caterpillar. He can't say, nope, don't like this anymore. And we're going to reverse the process and we're going to go back to being a caterpillar. He can't do that. He morphs. And that's what's supposed to happen, Paul says, when we come into the presence of God. That is why, for instance, I'll just give you an example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, this is what he writes. This is why people don't get this. Because they don't understand what, what Paul and, and, and the Lord was literally trying to communicate to us. It says here, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what? New creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things, all things have become new. We, that's why it's, it is said of us, it is said that we are born again. It, we, it, it's as if somehow or another we come out and we are a different person. And this is the part that I, I really, and I'm not going to mess with your vocabulary, and, and, and I know some of you will go out of here getting messed up in vocabulary, and I'm not trying to do that. But we talk change, but we, but we aren't thinking change. 
we got to realize God's not wanting just to change you so you can potentially change back, but he wants to transform you so you can't get back. Are you with me? That's what I want. That's what he can do. Now, before you get frustrated or before you get discouraged, this is the point I want to make is, is that you cannot do this type of change with just you doing it. You see, I understand there's a place, there's an appropriate place of, of personal change where we take responsibility and we embrace it and we put some energy to the equation and we set goals for our life or we, we vision cast and we begin to take steps in order to get to a different place. And, and there's an appropriate place for that to happen in a Christian's life. But, but this is the part I'm wanting you to get foundationally. That there is, there is a, a, a systemic, a, a basic life change that must happen in all of us that is more than just getting a book and applying a precept. It is a change that, that brings you into an encounter with a living God who has a presence to this being. And when you come into that presence, you are never the same again. And here's the deal. Listen to me again. Here is the deal. The deal is it's not my responsibility to somehow provide a forum where God can come so you can just come dip in. You've got to reach the place where you either get desperate, you get hungry, you get thirsty, you get serious, but you get like Jacob did when he said, Lord, I will not let you go. Until you change me. That is what it's all about. I was on doing my channel surfing again one day. If you ever need any technique in channel surfing, just contact me. And I'm on the pro channel surfing tour, you know. Just once again, I just hit. It was a Dr. Phil show. You know, it's amazing. You ought to just stop. It's every now and then. I'm not telling you to watch it all the time. But I'm just, it's a, you know, you just need to kind of look at the world every now and then just to see how crazy people are. They were doing a, a show on people, women, addicted to plastic surgery. One woman had so many procedures done, she looked like a circus freak show. No joke, she looked like the cat woman. I mean, her face was just, I mean, she looked like she was in a wind tunnel all the time. And they showed her face originally, and then they showed her after she'd had all this work done on her, and I mean, tons of work done on her. And the tragedy, this, this case was a tragedy, was there was no going back to the original way she looked. Now, now, that's a tragedy when man gets his fingers in it. But when the Holy Spirit gives you the makeover, that's exactly his intention. He wants to get a hold of you in such a way that when you are metamorphosed or when you are transformed in, or changed, there, you can't go back to who you were and what you did. And I'm just going to tell you, she had a malpractice suit pending, but there ain't no malpractice in the kingdom. God practices perfectly. Now, I already mentioned to you there's all sorts of change like this in the Bible. Jacob wrestled with the presence of the Lord. 
Gideon encountered the presence of the Lord, where at one point he said, who am I? I am, I am the least of all in the house of Manasseh. And he just had a terrible vision of himself, and he had to have an encounter with God in order to change his outlook on himself. Joshua had an encounter with the presence of God in order to prepare to go into a battle. How many of you know that Saul of Tarsus had an encounter with God on the road to Emmaus? Now it wasn't Emmaus, what, I forget the name of the road now. Damascus. Thank you. I'm, you're helping my preaching right now, Damascus. He had an encounter with God and he knocked him off his horse. Peter had an encounter with God and got a vision about the Gentiles. There are people in this room right now that have had an encounter with God to where you could say, I am not the same person I was. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying you're you're, you're all that. I'm not saying that you don't need more transformation. The scripture is clear. We are transformed from glory to glory to glory. I'm continually changing and transforming. So I haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. That's a given. But truth of the matter is, while I haven't arrived, I ain't like I was. That's our problem. All of us say, well, you know, I just haven't arrived yet, but you hadn't changed at all much. I know you hadn't arrived. So, so we've, we've got to understand God's presence is coming to do that. And there have been those moments, moments in my household, moments in many of your households. But metamorpho is you cannot go back because you've been transformed. Now, I want to share with you very quickly the five main enemies of this kind of transformation. The reason they're enemies is because they're really enemies to the presence of God. The presence of God, the manifest presence of God is what brings change. That's why we need as an individual and as a people to continue to seek God and say, oh God, come and dwell. Dwell in the midst of your people. When the psalmist cried out, oh God, come dwell. When Paul said in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 about God dwelling, what he was talking about was the manifest presence. God, bring your presence back to your people, to your church. We need to do that as a body. We need to do that as individuals. You are responsible to seek and to chase and to hunger and to thirst after God. But there are going to be five enemies, maybe more than that, but at least I'm going to give you the five major ones that are always going to challenge you and they are enemies to that transformation in your life. Because some of you are needing that level of transformation. It, again, I'm not saying you don't, you have a desire. It's not that you don't desire. It's not that you don't want things to be different. I mean, who really enjoys pain in life? I mean, who just wakes up one morning and says, oh, I think I'm just going to destroy my life today. I think I'm just going to let it go straight down the tubes. I'm just going to tank out and I'm just going to just blow everything. Nobody wakes up thinking exactly that way when they get up in the morning. So I understand everybody wants a quality of life, but you've got to understand how that quality of life is going to come to pass in your life. And there are going to be five enemies that are going to challenge you. The first one, and they're going to be real simple. I just call it tradition. Tradition. Now, I want you to hear this. The Lord, and this is according to Scripture, the Lord, so far as I can see, never did exactly the same thing twice. I want you to think about battles that were fought, ministry that took place. I want you to think about how Jesus reached out and tried to touch people. I want you to think about all the aspects of God working in the people that we read about here in the scriptures. And I have come to the conclusion that there is no two times that are exactly the same. 
we need to remember that when it comes to working with the Lord, that he's going to deal with us in brand new, fresh ways. And if we lock down ourselves saying that God can only work this way at this time in our life, then we are shutting out the possibility of having that encounter with the Holy Spirit that, we, that he wants us to have in order that we might know it is him. That's why Jesus said that new wine couldn't go into old wineskins. That was the Lord saying that when the Spirit of God shows up, everybody better stay flexible. Because the presence of God will come in such a way that you're going to be stretched. And indeed, we all need to be stretched. How else can you morph? Because I guarantee a little caterpillar leg to get to big wings, something stretched. Something's going to stretch in you. You're going to be stretched. Don't you think that God's going to change you and you aren't going to stretch, move, change, adjust, or do anything? I, it's, 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 it's almost funny when you begin to think about it. Lord, change me. Now, I ain't going to do anything, but change me. Lord, I want to be transformed, but there ain't nothing that I'm going to do different in my life. I'm not going to be stretched. I'm not going to walk in faith. I'm not going to reach out towards you. I'm just not going to do anything, Lord, but you change me. You got a snowball's chance in Gehenna of true transformation changing you. That's tradition. The presence of God resists tradition. Secondly, it's fear. And I don't want you to be confused at this point with what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. There is an appropriate fear of the Lord. We, we might define it in our day as respect, the respect of the Lord. But there's another form of fear that's phobic that keeps us from, from allowing God to move us to that next dimension of what we need to be walking into. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says this, that God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Lord is not going to bring transformation or work change in your life if you're going to function in fear. He says continually, fear not. Fear not. If you trust him, fear not. If he's bringing you into some new arena, new area, new life, lifestyle, fear not. He's not just trying to be a feature of your life. He wants to be your whole life. And he says, fear not. God's not the one that's going to mess you up. The enemy's the one that's been messing you up. He's the one that will untangle you. Fear not. And fear, this is the interesting thing, fear works by the same internal forces as faith. And whenever fear is at work, it will always begin to douse faith. Fear and faith have a difficult time functioning together. In fact, I'll go so far as to say ultimately one of them will win because they just can't exist together because they function based on the same internal precept. Fear is of the precept that says, I won't, I can't, it'll never happen. And, and, and that fear keeps you where you are. Whereas faith says, believe me, trust me, Take a shot. God is there. So you've got to understand fear is going to be one of your greatest enemies. There's always the enemy tries to throw fear. What if? What if? What if you do this? And well, what if this happens? Or what? That's fear. Some some reach a place of such pain that the basically the issue is what have you got to lose? Then trust God. Number three, laziness. Laziness. Now, I'm not saying you work your way into the presence of God. I'm not, again, backtracking and say you have to work your way into transformation or morphing. I'm not saying that. 
But what I am saying by the word laziness is there is an attentiveness to the presence of God. You cannot be lackadaisical about your desire or your hunger about the presence of God. And, and, and so there's not like this, this work of morphing that you have to do, but there is this work of presenting that you have to do in order that God will come. You, you have to begin to put some energy into reaching out and seeking God's presence. You know, it's amazing in the Bible, the Lord says there are certain things that draw his presence. You know, when we praise the Lord and we sing praises or we worship him or, or if there's the lifting of hands or whatever there is to reach out to, to, to somehow touch or access the presence of the Lord, he, he asks of us to do that in order that he might respond and move towards us. But if, but if we're not going to do that, then what God says this, then I'm not moving towards you. He said, there's a pattern for me to come. You enter my gates with thanksgiving and my courts with praise. You bring me a sacrifice. Bring me that which is the best of your field. And if you'll do all of those things and that sacrifice goes up, God's presence comes down. Are you with me? So there's, there's a work to it. You can't just be lazy, lazy or lethargic. You, 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 you've got to be attentive to the presence of God. Number four, stubbornness. Stubbornness is an enemy of transformation. Does that surprise you? <laughs> You know what the Bible calls it? The Bible calls it, at least in my version, it calls it being stiff-necked. That's the word for stubborn. That's what God called Israel, his people. He said, you're stiff-necked. You're stubborn. You know, years ago, you've heard me tell these stories. Years ago, I worked for a season, about a six, seven-month season, at J.C. Penney's selling men's suits. And one of the things you had to do if you were in the suit or clothing department was that you had to change the mannequins' clothing from season to season. And I don't know if you've ever had the delight of trying to change a mannequin, but mannequins are not cooperative. I, I mean, they just... I, I, I mean, and, and you know, clothes were meant with, to have a little bit more twist in the joints to get them on. And, and when you're working with this mannequin that basically only moves right about here and some of them, and, and then they're cut right about there and those are the only, and, and it doesn't really move much this way, it just kind of moves that way. And to try to put some clothes on them was a real challenge, at least for me. And, and that's a very good definition of what it means to be stiff-necked. You're wanting to put a new suit, you're wanting to put some new clothes. It's a new season, so you're wanting to put something new. On them in order that they might reflect the season, that they might look like the season that you're going into. But boy, it was all you could do sometimes to get that stuff on them in order for that to be manifested or demonstrated. Do you understand? God works with his people at times like I worked with that mannequin. It's all he can do to get us to get on the clothing, to get on the look, to put on the transformation, to get that implemented in our life so we can begin to manifest the season and the change that he wants us to be in and stubbornness stubbornness will be an enemy to that transformation and then finally number five is pride pride is an enemy you know what it says in the scripture it says god resists the proud i believe that's james four and six god resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble so anytime pride enters into an equation in your life, 
you automatically need to know that you're at odds with God. Pride is, is a, an automatic resistor to the things of God. Pride is the feeling, I don't need that. Pride is the feeling that I have arrived. Uh, pride is the last time, you know, the last time I looked, you know, I, 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 I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing better than most. I'm better than my neighbor. I'm better than Adolf Hitler. I'm better than Saddam Hussein, so I must be doing okay. That's, that's, that's pride, pride. None of us, none of us have arrived. The Lord loves a people who would say, we need you, Lord, because we're nothing without you. We need you, Lord, because I know there's another place for me in you that I need to get to. You know, Satan's problem when he was in heaven before he was run out, Satan's problem was he already thought he was like God. And if you would say to me this morning, I don't know that I need anything, then you're already embracing a satanic principle right there. Because you do need something. We all need something. We aren't going to be like him until we see him face to face. And until that time, there's a whole lot of work that needs to happen on all of our lives. Now, let me give you quickly the order of transformation and I really am going to work through this quick. If you want to know what God is drawn to initially, if you want to understand how transformation begins to be implemented and how you begin to morph, then, then we need to get this foundational concept down. The first thing is God is drawn to repentance. Repentance. Repentance means to change your mind and agree with what God says. Change will never happen in your life until you agree with God. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says, do it, do it. If he says, don't do it, don't do it. Change, transformation will not happen in people's lives until you quit fussing with what God said. Don't make, you, if you start making up your own rules along the way, I will assure you, you will break down, shut down, and things will not work right. So the first thing you've got to do is say, this is what I do. There was a time in my life, I'll just share this with you, when the Holy Spirit began to deal with me, in my life, this is back in about 1986, and um, hopefully, I mean, I'm sure there have been prideful moments, so I wouldn't be so arrogant to say there have been no prideful moments except that one. But I can tell you that was a critical moment because I literally had to go back to the Bible, and I'll never forget. I opened up the Bible, I put it before me, and I said, Lord, now understand, I was saved in 1978. So this is another eight years after I was saved, supposedly. And I remember getting before the Lord, and I, this is what I said. I said, Lord, I don't even know anymore if I've even got salvation downright. So we're going to start at ground level, and I'm going to assume right now I'm not even saved. I'm just going to assume that for a moment. Because you know what? I'm, I am tired of, of making things up along the way. I'm going to agree with what you said. Whatever you said is what I will say. Whatever you said is how I will believe. I'm not going to dodge it. I'm not going to try to figure out a way around it. I am going to embrace it. And some of you, I was mentioning this on Wednesday night, some of you here in this room, you've got to reach the place where you quit reading the Bible through your old thinking and eyes. There are so many people that go to the scriptures and we don't read the scriptures and listen to what God is saying. We go to the scripture and remember what our denomination told us years ago. We read the scripture and remember, you know, what that particular fellowship said years ago. And so our eyes are already clouded and we read God's word and all we're doing is reading to reaffirm what we think we already know. And we need to break that and say, oh God, speak to me because I am clueless. Now that's not, that's not 
you know, demeaning you. It's just simply saying, let's humble ourselves. Our problem is we got, we're still looking through Baptist eyes and Episcopalian eyes and Catholic eyes and, and Lutheran eyes and Presbyterian eyes. And I have nothing against all of these groups, wonderful groups. But the key is they don't set me free. Jesus sets me free. It is his word. Speak to me, O oh God. Speak to me. I want your eyes. What do you see when you read this? What's your perspective on this as we read this? And you know what? When you find out that maybe you've been holding on to some things through the years that aren't right, what do you do with it? You don't keep perpetuating it. You repent and say, Lord, I'm with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't care what anybody says. I agree with you. Repentance. Change your mind. Secondly, obedience. Obedience is the change of action. You've heard me say this before. You can't be sorry alone. You must show sorry by your actions. Matthew 3, verse 8, John said to the Pharisees, he said to begin to bear fruit, bear the fruit of repentance. So repentance is changing your mind, but obedience is bearing fruit. In other words, demonstrating that I've changed my mind. Now we're talking about transformation. Number three is compliance. Compliance. Now, now follow me. Your mind agrees. Your actions begin to accompany it. They're getting better. But listen to me. Your attitude can be wrong. There's compliance. Have you ever, those of you that have children, you'll know exactly what I'm saying when I mention this. Have you ever asked a child to obey, let's say, and, and you've asked them to sit down, and they may be sitting down on the outside, but they're Standing up on the inside. Anybody ever faced kind of that attitude before? Well, you know, God faces that too. And that's what the Bible means when it says that God wants your heart. You need to understand that God's not absolving your actions, but he's saying this. He's saying, I'm glad that you agree with me. I'm glad that you're beginning to bear fruits of repentance and obedience. But now you've got to let your attitude be put in line with your obedience. I have seen obedient people with stinky attitudes. And they wonder why real change isn't happening in their life. They'll go, well, I repented and I'm being obedient. Yeah, but your attitude stinketh. It stinks. And, and if you think I, and, and you, you don't think anybody sees it, if I can see it, God sure enough sees it. So you've got to, so hear me, change your mind leads to a change of action, leads to a change of attitude. And then we come to number four, which is forgiveness. And this is about dealing with your feelings. You've got to begin to forgive people and begin to release forgiveness around you. Your minds change, your actions change, your attitude is beginning to change, so your feelings are changing. Then number five comes your profession, which means now you've got to change your words. You'll never morph, you will never transform, you will never change until you change the way you speak. And Tracy said this the other day, and it is so true, that there will be people in your life who will try to frame the way you think, and their thinking is wrong, it is stinking thinking, and you need to get out from stinker thinkers. And realize that what you think is eventually what you're going to say. And you need to make sure that you're thinking right, you're feeling right, your attitude's right, you're being obedient, you agree with what God says, and then begin to say what he says. 
If there's an I can't in your vocabulary, then kick that thing out and go back to what God says, who said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So don't look at me and say, I can't get through this. I can't overcome this. I can't change in this area. You are a liar. That is a lying spirit in you because you've just said the cross can't break that. And that's not true. It's just not true. Now, I agree. You may need to get back into the presence of God somewhere. Somehow, some way. Allow him to infuse you with strength and might in the inner man. I don't disagree with that. But don't you tell me it can't happen. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. So our corporate confession as a people should be, God, dwell here. Transform us here. I agree with you to change my mind. My mind now turns into action. My actions also begin to accompany my attitude. My attitude's adjusting my feelings. My feelings are, are beginning to work through my words. And now we get to number six, which is where we find transformation. Once our words begin to come out, now we begin to take dominion over our thought life. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Brethren means the church. It means us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your spiritual service of worship. And be not conformed to the patterns of this age, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. So your thoughts now are beginning to change. You've agreed with what God has said. It's turned into an action. Your attitude's being adjusted. It's, it's touching your feelings. Your feelings are causing you to speak better. Your speaking is now challenging your thought life. And out of all of that, we begin to see the manifestation number seven. All of a sudden, as you move through the progression, you begin to manifest real change. Real change. Now, I will assure you, most everyone that gets bogged down or somehow change stops in their life, somewhere in that seven, I won't call it step, but in that seven precept presentation there, something is broken down. Because truth of the matter is, you are not the same creature you once were. And I'm not going to tell you all that this is absolutely easy. Because I'll be the first one to say that Jacob didn't get to that place easily. Gideon didn't get to that place easily. Joshua and others, Paul on the road to Damascus. Peter and his vision with the Gentiles. People didn't get here easily. There had to be something inside of them that cried out and said, Oh God, I want to get a hold of your presence. And if this were easy, you'd see a lot more examples. But the key, I think, is this. It becomes easier... If we choose to dwell and to stay in his glory. And here's the good news. It is not conditioned upon what you do, nor is it conditioned upon what I do. In other words, for each other. What it's conditioned upon is whether or not I, as an individual believer, want to pursue and press in and hunger and thirst after God myself. But can you imagine what could happen if there were a group of people See, this is what Jesus said. He said, if just two or three gather together in my name, there will I be in their presence. So he says, it doesn't take much. And if there were just a few that said, you know what, not only as an individual, but just as a people, as a group, we're going to pursue 
God's presence. You would be amazed at what God could begin to do in the midst of that people. I want to share this simple truth with you today. If you really want true and lasting change in your life, then you must, you must, everyone say, that's me. You must begin to find his presence. Now, that didn't mean you just suddenly become a church hopper because I thought to myself, dear God, if I say that, everyone may just go on this hunt, and there they go. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is there comes a moment that you pursue and you press in and you begin to say, if no one else finds it, I'm going to find it. If no one else wants to be where he dwells, I want to be where he dwells. I'm going to reach out and lay hold of his presence. I can tell you, I started to really think about this, and next week I'm going to pick it up, and I'm going to talk about another aspect of, of, of wooing his presence that we may not have considered. But, but I can tell you this, as I started to think back in my own life, and I said, Lord, where were those moments, where were those pivotal moments where great change occurred? Help me understand in my own life where you were in those moments and how you worked with me in order to bring bring about something that forever, forever changed the complexion of who I am as a human being before you. And the Lord just reminded me of a couple different things that happened along my life's journey. And every time those moments of great transformation took place, I can tell you this, it it usually was preceded by a great challenge, a great battle, a great war, great circumstances, difficult moment. It was usually preceded by something like that, which caused me to fall on my face before the Lord and say, God, I am reminded once again that I cannot navigate life on my own. I must have you. And it's amazing how quickly we forget. And then we... We enjoy his presence. Great change happens. We're different. We're not who we were. And then suddenly, maybe, maybe we slip back, maybe something new manifests, and here we go again. Great challenge, great obstacles, difficult circumstances, turmoil, battle, stress, strain. And God uses that moment in order for one more time for us to fall on our face and say, I hunger after you, O oh God. I chase after you. All of this is as nothing. That's exactly what happened. Isn't that what happened to Jacob? It was his brother Esau that was trying to run him down to kill him. When he finally got before God and he said, I I need God. I got somebody who's putting me in the crosshairs. I better get before the Lord. Well, praise God, if that's what it takes. Is that what it's going to take for you to get somebody to get you in their crosshairs in order for you to do that? Or will you pursue him? You know, this is the great thing about getting older, is that I am getting a little smarter. And I'm not having to learn so many things the hard way. Praise God. How about you? The presence of God. Maybe that's why some of you right now, at this very moment, you're facing some very difficult, gut-wrenching circumstances, time, stress, could be job, could be life, could be any one of a number of things. And you know, when I say that, there are going to be people's minds who will say right now, oh, he knows my situation. No, I don't. I know about 150 people's situations right now. And, and about all of us could say we've got certain stresses pressing us. And that's just what God uses. It's a great opportunity for you to find his presence and be forever changed. 
Amen. Stand with me, will you please? Father, I ask you right now, in this your house, Lord, that you would draw us to yourself. That your spirit would begin to move in this place, Lord, as it has in times past. I've sensed your presence here, Lord, in times past in very important, even dramatic ways. And now I ask, Lord, that you would come and draw your people to yourself. Lord, draw your people to yourself. You, you're the only one, Lord, that can take caterpillars and turn them into butterflies. You're the only one that can take the, the mixed up, devastated pieces of someone's life and somehow, Lord, cocoon it up and transform it into something beautiful. Lord, I pray right now that as your spirit begins to talk to people and work in hearts and lives and minds, even at this particular moment, I, I pray right now, Lord, that there would be just a conviction that would come, Lord, not to bring the guilt like we might normally think of conviction, but a conviction that would come this morning that would say, I don't want to be who I was and I don't want to be who I am. I want to be who you can make me and transform me. Listen to me. Listen to me, folks. God's not out to change you. Uh, to be candid with you, I grab a pastor friend who, who wrote a book in this very area, and he has such a beautiful point. We use the word change so much that it's become another one of those words like I love or I have a friend. It's almost become meaningless, change. We change this way and that way, and we can just as easily change back. God doesn't want to change you anymore. He wants to transform you. He wants to morph you into something you've never been before. But you've got to get in his presence. You've got to desire his presence. You've got to cry out. I, I can't cry out for you. You've got to cry out. You've got to hunger. You've got to thirst. It's not just a matter of getting... A, a, a better music or a better atmosphere. It's, a, it's about us getting a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And God won't despise that. And he'll put up with, he'll put up with a lot of average worship experiences and come and bring an exceptional sense of his presence. So Holy Spirit, I want you to do your work right now. And Lord, I'm, I'm going to ask people in just a moment, Lord, to come to these, we call them the altars. And Lord, when I give that invitation, Lord, I want you to talk to people right now. People are at all different places in their journey. They're at all different spots. Some have fellowshiped with you in unprecedented ways this week, and we rejoice with them. Some of the folk here probably are in a very dry season, and they're wondering where you are in the midst of their circumstances. Lord, I'm asking you right now, to rightly work and to rightly divide and to do what only you can do. But Lord, I'm going to open up the altars because your word tells us that it was your presence that dwelt at the altars. And Lord, I'm going to let people begin. Just begin, Lord. It, it, it doesn't, be, doesn't start and stop here. It, it, it's just the beginning of a life of pursuing your presence. So Lord, you talk to them right now and do what I can't do. Do what no human being can do. Lord, let them pursue you. In Jesus' name. And this is what we're going to do in just these few moments. If you, if you need before you go today to take a few moments and pursue the Lord, 
and say, Lord, I need your presence because I've not been very good at this change stuff, so I need your presence in my life in a new manifested way. You need to begin that pursuit this morning. I don't know whether you'll lay hold of him in a, in a brand new way or not, but you're going to have to find a place where you can begin that pursuit. And I think now is as good a time as any. So if that's you right now, just you can slip out. There's no emotional tug. It's got to be something out of your inner man that says, Lord, I'm coming after you right now. I'm coming to the place of prayer, the altars of the church, and I'm going to start pursuing you right now. Now, this is what I want you to do as you come. I want you just to start pursuing him. I want you to begin to pray right now. Say, Lord, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. Lord, I need your presence. I'm asking for your presence in my life. Lord, I know you're here. I know that's what I believe in. The word says you're, you're here. Doctrinally, you're everywhere. I know you're here this morning, but Lord, show me your glory. Unveil your glory in my life right now. Unveil it right now. Come on, ask him. Come on, congregation, even you right where you're standing right now. If you didn't feel like God was drawing you, that's cool. But you need to still pursue him right where you're at right now. You need to begin to say, Lord, Lord, show me your glory. Show us the glory of the Lord. The glory that will transform me and morph me into a brand new creature. A brand new creature. That's what I want right now. You just need to whisper it or begin to speak it. But you need to say it. Lord, that's me. I want, that's what I want. I want to be a new creature. I want old things to pass away and all things to become new. Lord, we're pursuing you. I'm pursuing you. I desire you. I want you. I long for you. I need you. I, I, I need, Lord, that, that, that confrontation of your presence, Lord, that forever changes me. Lord, let it begin to happen right now. Let it begin to start right now. Lord, I, I would be grateful if you were to do that in these people's lives right now who have gathered down front and, and let them have that moment even now. But Lord, it could, be, it could be later this afternoon. It could be all through the week. But Lord, we're looking for manifest presence. We're looking for you while we're driving down the road to suddenly fill the car up with your presence. Lord, we're looking for you when we step into the shower and we're getting cleaned up in the morning and we just start singing praises to your name that, God, it's not just steam, it's the glory that begins to fill the shower. Lord, I pray right now, in the cubicle, maybe we go to work and uh, sometimes it's a difficult place and we can play maybe just a little soft music or we can just stop and pray, but all of a sudden in that little cubicle, Lord, presence comes. Let it come. We seek after you, O oh God. We want you. We desire you. I want everyone to say, everyone that's down front, and I want everyone in, in the seats yet this morning, I want everyone, and let's just as a people right now, I know you're pursuing him individually, but as a people right now, let's just do something corporately. So God knows by his spirit that we want him to do some unusual things. With regards to transformation. Everyone together say in the name of Jesus. I present myself. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. Which is my reasonable service of worship. 
I am deciding to no longer be conformed to the patterns of this age. But I shall be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I shall be transformed from glory to glory because that's what I'm pursuing. I'm tired of caterpillar existence. I'm ready to break forth as a new creature. I'm making a decision, Lord. I'm not going back. I've decided it before and I have failed before. But Lord, your presence is what I need. So I commit to pursuing your presence to bring change in my life. Lord, don't let me lose this moment. It's a start, not the end. A beginning, not a finale. I'm after you with all my heart. In Jesus' name. Father, now I pray, Lord, just as pastor and uh, Lord, you've just given me some oversight and my oversight is pretty trivial compared to yours. But Lord, there is an authority in that and right now I would ask, Lord, based on your word that says if any two agree on earth as touching it in heaven, it shall be done. And Lord, I agree with each person at these altars. I agree with each person in this congregation. I set myself in agreement with them. Lord, that there is going to be a moment where we will be able to undeniably say the presence of God is here. Lord, we're not, we're not faking it. We're not, we're not trying to, to do something that isn't so, but Lord, we're after you. We're pursuing you. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that this week, this week you would do something out of your presence for each of these people. Lord, I pray that this week, Lord, that you would show up unexplainably. Lord, even unnaturally, supernaturally, by your presence. And that, Lord, because of that moment in your presence, that you would change us from Jacob's to Israel's, Lord. From Abram's to Abraham's, from Sarai's to Sarah's. Lord, that you would change us from who we are at that moment to who you've designed us to be. Transform us, Lord. Transform us. Take desire that I know is here this morning and translate that into reality. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can you begin to just thank the Lord right there where you're standing? Just thank him because thanking him means I believe that's going to happen. Lord, I thank you that that's going to happen to me. I thank you that I'm going to run into you this week in a profound and special way. I thank you that I am going to be changed Forever changed. People are going to look at me and say, who are you? You're not the same person. Well, praise God. That's what I was shooting for. I thank you, Lord. These things are happening. They're not going to be the exception, but they shall be your rule in our midst. We honor you, sir. In Jesus' name, can the assembly say amen? amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap and say thank you, Lord. <laughs> Blessed be the name of our God. Praise God. Praise God. I tell you what we're going to do, guys. Flash that last thing up there as we always do on the screen. And uh, did I catch you that dismissal thing? Because I want us to begin to get in our, 
in our system what God now has done. If he's doing things in us as we gather together as a people, it's not just to enjoy for this moment. It's to go out through those doors and to begin to make a difference in people's lives. Ready? Lord, I leave your house today ready to reach the greater Charleston area as a credible, spirit-filled Christian who proclaims and demonstrates true freedom, wholeness, reconciliation through my worship, my relationships, and practical ministry. Amen, and so be it. Praise God. Hug each other, love each other. And God bless you. Enjoy your fellowship and your release. We'll see you in the middle of the week, Wednesday night. God bless you.